Time for the collaboration between WCCO Radio and the Star Tribune editorial board. This has been taking place for a number of years today, represented. John Rash always here. Denise Johnson here today with John. Glad to have you both on as always. Denise, I will start with you first. Joe Biden is going to do something which he is, so far he's rarely done during his presidency, have a solo, organized, planned press conference starting about when this show finishes up. I think many observers, I'm in that category, look at the last six months and see many areas where the administration, to be kind, has struggled or, to be blunt, has failed. A lot of polling reflects the same thing. What can Joe Biden say today? to Democrats who want more, and to independents who want more, to give them some confidence that things are going to turn to the brighter side for the Biden administration over the next few months. Well, can emphasize some of the things that have that have gone well during his administration, and it can also push very hard for um, uh, additional bipartisanship. As you know, the, the uh, voting rights uh, act is coming up for or it's being debated as we speak and it's not likely that that will pass but emphasizing things like going back kind of to the the drawing board on that or looking at the things that both sides can agree on um, and and get something uh, passed in that area would be something that perhaps could give people more confidence going forward john same question to you I concur with Denise that bipartisanship is what he should move toward because that's what he ran on. And he came into the presidency as a uniter after the deeply divisive years under President Trump and certainly before that under Democratic presidents as well. And the early months of his administration seemed to deliver on that, as Denise rightly mentioned, capped by what literally is called the bipartisan infrastructure plan. And so You did have several Senate votes come from the Republican side as well as from the House side. That's a model of the way that Senator Biden used to like to work as candidate Biden. He said he would work, but as president, it hasn't worked out well for him, save for a few bills. He has a very slender majority in the Senate, one vote with Vice President Kamala Harris, and clearly he has defections to the point where on the voting rights bill, it can actually be the Republican side who say they have a bipartisan coalition stopping it because they have the two defections in Senator Sinema and Manchin. So President Biden needs to go back to these bipartisan roots that he knows well and that are authentic to him in order to get his administration back on track. So, John, that, that, that's something where I thought he would have greater success, and he obviously is not of late. I, I saw a number of interviews previewing one year and, and previewing this interview, and I saw a number of folks who are further to the left than Joe Biden, including supporters of Bernie Sanders, who say, that isn't working. They say, you know what, Joe Biden is trying to reach out and no Republicans are there outside infrastructure, um, that cinema and mansion aren't there, and that Joe Biden should look at the energy within the Democrats' party, 
which is further to the left, embrace those ideas and try to get more things done in that manner. Is there any chance he pursues that route? He certainly may be pushed toward that direction, and Senator Sanders, Warren, and others want him to go that way. But let's just look at Senator Sanders' record regarding West Virginia. Joe Manchin has given them this slim one-vote majority with the vice president's vote, partly because Joe Manchin has resisted uh, pressures to join the Republican Party. When Senator Sanders pushed a more liberal candidate in the West Virginia Senate race against um, the other Republican incumbent there, that individual was trounced, and President Trump had the widest margin of victory in West Virginia of any state that he ran in. So, you know, the Democratic Party has long been a broad coalition. It certainly is that right now, and you've got to work within that. And also, I think that one of the lost opportunities are there are some relatively more moderate members of the Republican Senate, Senators Romney, as an example, or Collins of Maine, or Senator Murkowski of Alaska, who he could work with as well and try to build a bit of a broader coalition that's going to take more moderate legislation. Moving to the left clearly hasn't done it, and there's nothing that would suggest it will do it. And indeed, as the midterms come up and polls indicate that it's highly likely that the Republicans will re-grab control of Congress, he better learn to start working on a more bipartisan basis. All right, Denise, same to you on uh, potentially tacking the laugh, but also this point, too. Many people have suggested whether it's Build Back Better or or parts of the Voting Rights Act, which is going to get voted down because Sinema and Manchin aren't going to vote yes. That one option is you break the bills apart separately, not together, but you break the bills apart separately, find ways to work with Manchin, Collins, other Republicans and try to get things done. Which is the which is the more likely path that Biden is going to pursue? Well, I think that's the the, the one that you just mentioned is the path he ought to uh, pursue. Going, moving farther to um, the left, I don't think. I mean, to the kind of extreme left is is certainly not going to work. I think one of the things that the president found when he was trying to rely on some of the relationships that he had had as a you know longtime member of the Senate and thought that he would be able to talk with those people that he had worked with in the past. And what he's what he's working with now, those same senators, you know, when you look at the ones who are who are the, the 17 that voted again on the Voting Rights Act uh, in in uh, 2006, voted one way. And now they're um, they're not. <laughs> and that, that's sort of the introduction of Trumpism into all of this that's made a change in the, the people that he was kind of relying on to be able to work with in that party. Um, so I still think that that the uh, partisanship looking for those uh, moderates in, in both parties to to work with him on getting parts of these things passed is the way to go. Denise Johnson and John Rash here from the Star Tribune editorial board. It's 246. Let's pause right here. Come back. I want to talk locally, uh, Governor Walls and bonding, and also something because there are a lot of people who support pr- former President Trump and say it's old news, old news. This is new news on President Trump from last night and his family. 
How significant is this story? Those items when we come back. Back with the Star Tribune editorial board. Donald Trump and his family in the news, the New York Attorney General, said investigations have uncovered evidence the former Trump, the former president's company, used fraudulent or misleading valuations of his golf club, skyscrapers, and other property to get loans and tax benefits. Attorney General Letitia Johnson late yesterday told a judge they have not decided whether to bring a lawsuit in connection with the allegations, but the investigators should be allowed to question Trump and his two eldest children under oath as part of the civil probe. The Trump organization issued a statement Wednesday calling the investigation baseless and politically motivated. Where does this go, John Rash? It goes into the mix of things going on in the political world that are deeply dividing the country. But on the merits of the case, again, as you mentioned, it's a civil, not a criminal case. And if President Trump's attorney is correct in that there is nothing to this that is, as you call it, baseless, or as he called it, baseless, then the president and his two adult children should answer the questions. It's going to be difficult to dodge a subpoena in this case. And I think that they would serve themselves much more by voluntarily going in to talk as it has been requested at this point. And I think trying to push off something that may be a serious allegation of financial fraud on being politically motivated is not appropriate and not accurate. The facts are the facts. And I think that if indeed there's nothing to it, as the president's attorney alleges, they should feel comfortable going in and answering questions. Denise, don't you expect what's going to happen is they're going to go in and say no comment. No That's comment. right. That's exactly what they no will do. They will go in and yeah. say that they don't. The the uh, uh, Trump and his family members have always felt as if they don't have to um, comply <laughs> with those kinds of things. There's plenty of cases, you know, over and over again. Uh, he and people in his circle have said, we're just not going to do it. We're just not going to uh, participate, and we'll do whatever they can to hold that up uh, legally um, as the attorney general is trying to pursue it. Let's uh, switch here to what's taking place in Minnesota with Governor Walls and the figure of $2.7 billion uh, as his uh, bonding number that he has offered up. Denise, is this a realistic number or is this we're just opening up negotiations and we're setting number very, very high at this point? I think we're opening uh, uh, negotiations. Um, If you recall, the highest uh, bonding bill that we've had uh, in the past was at $1.9 billion in 2020. Um, This time is looking for $2.7 billion. I would expect that they will uh, end up somewhere in between those those two figures. Um, one of the things that the court is, is different this time around is that there is a great deal of um, federal money involved that can be uh, helpful to, to drive this number up. If you look at the priorities that the governor has talked about, I think that there, most, most people, most voters could be in favor of many of those things. It's for the state university system, for housing. Uh, for local government requests, for infrastructure, bridge replacement, um, 
I think that those are the kinds of things that voters in Minnesota want to see this money uh, spent on. But I don't know that um, the $2.7 billion will stand. John, do we have any idea what is a more realistic number at this point? I think Denise hit on it, $1.9 billion. There is a precedent for that, and that happened during another volatile political year. But these come around in even years. 2020 was the last time that they did this. Now, one could argue, and I'm sure the Waltz administration will, that they have more resources because of all the federal money that has been sent out because of the COVID crisis. But my sense is they'll get closer to 1.9, maybe up to 2 billion, which really has a different ring than 1.9 billion, perhaps on the campaign trail. And Denise is quite right; they're quite strategic. Both parties, when they do this, of spreading the money throughout different congressional districts, different state legislative districts. And generally, they're absolutely for needy projects, um, be it in higher education and just maintenance of building at all the campuses of the university system and the Minnesota state system and other really worthy projects. That's why they generally can get this done, despite the deep acrimony in St. Paul. As always, thanks to both of you. Uh, Enjoy the week and we'll talk soon. Thank you, Chad. Thank you, Chad. John Rash and Denise Johnson from the Star Tribune editorial board.